hope, resurrection in the face of death. If I can just vent a bit here. The question is, what is right in the sight of God? Which is essential to being a human. Yes, 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 yes. It's time now for another exciting edition of Irreverence. Fans of the show who have listened for a while will have seen that we've tweaked the intro slightly to give it a slightly more high-energy feel. So uh, let me know what you think of that. We can always switch back if that's too much for the listeners, but I thought I might just try something new this week. As always, I am joined by the man, the priest, the presbyter, the legend, the bell ringer, the sailor, TJ Pelham. How are you doing, TJ? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Jamie. Very well. Um, are you a sailor? I don't know. Is that I, right? Well, I, I guess I am. I've got my day skipper. That's uh, that's a sailing qualification. Good for I, you. It means I'm qualified to uh, to hire boats in uh, in the Mediterranean. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is uh, no small thing. If we were allowed to go to the Mediterranean, it would be great. Um, really looking forward to the days where we can do that. But uh, at the moment, uh, of course, not a skill which I am putting into practice often. No, I am not anticipating myself going to the Mediterranean any time in the next decade, uh, if then. So um, maybe one day, but we will, we shall see. Good. Well, it's good to see you looking healthy. I'm doing all right. Today, I'm drinking a nice coffee. I have it with milk in the afternoons, black in the morning. And I'm being very healthy today and eating a nice apple, as you'll be all able right. to see. But fans of the show will only be able to imagine such a thing. And maybe Imagine. here. You know, exactly. know, it's crunchy. Exactly. Do, do you know what? I had uh, an experience with apples, Jamie. Uh-huh. This is completely off topic. Um, but I had, um, you know, it was a regular apple eater for much of my life. And then my wife bought me an apple from Marks and Spencer's. Lovely. Which was a variety called the Jazz Apple. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, which uh, is very expensive in shops, very inefficient uh, in terms of uh, where they come from. Uh, but they are a sort of variety that seems to be uh, combined. The sort of traits of the Granny Smith, which I liked, of being really yeah. crunchy and tart, but this sort of, you know, the sweeter apples as well. It was everything in one apple. It was, without a doubt, the best apple I've ever had. And I've really um, gone off apples since then. I've had my apple nirvana, I guess, my taste of heaven yeah. uh, on earth. Um, and I just don't eat them very much anymore. But you I mean, I hope you enjoy yours. Um, mine have been ruined. Every apple pales in comparison to that crunch. You know what that reminds me of, Tom? It reminds me of the story of Thomas Aquinas, who, after all his years of learning, um, you know, delving into the deepest mysteries of existence and the universe, had a vision of God towards the end of his life. And he said after that, you know, when his amanuensis said, you know, uh, let's get working again, Thomas. And he said, I can write no further because all I have written seems to me to be a straw. And that's a similar thing. Yeah. you know in terms of apples isn't it i think so it was is yeah uh, a very similar kind of moment um my wife, well, finds, well, my wife gets very frustrated by it but anyway yes yes go on no yes. no no it's, that's great no no it's 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 an interesting story anyway right sorry i've got a mouthful of apple now um right so let's begin okay so welcome everyone thanks a lot for coming along uh or listening along or whatever you say uh it's so great to uh hear from people and see people uh, sending messages and, and, and telling us your thoughts and everything like that. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, to say anything at all, can be critical. 
Um, but any suggestions or anything else, do email the pod at irreverendpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We also now have a Facebook page, uh, which I just set up. You just need to type in irreverend in Facebook if you want to like our page and we'll post our shows up there, etc. Now, we've had quite a lot of correspondence this week, and I'm not going to be able to read very much of it because we've got so much to talk about what's happened in this crazy world. But I do want to say thank you to people who have emailed for the first time. I had really nice emails from Niall and from Brian yesterday. So thank you for those emails and we've corresponded. It's good to know that you're listening to the the show and enjoying it. Um, Had a really interesting suggestion for a conversation from um, Niv. And and we're going to get to that next week because there's so much that's happened this week. Um, We're just going to hold that over till next week. But Niv, thank you for your suggestion. We'll be doing that next week. And we've had an update from Andy. Do you remember Andy, Tom? He was the guy from Scotland who was banned from going into his church because he can't wear a mask. This was from some yeah, some yeah. weeks ago. Well, he's he's updated us. Uh, he's doing a little bit better in himself personally, but he is still banned from his church, despite the fact that he's had a conversation with the uh, PCC and he's explained to them, he's shared with them the Episcopal guidelines which have recently been sent allowed, uh, sorry, sent around, which clearly do make allowances for people uh, who have exemptions to still come to church, even though they uh, can't wear a mask. But his PCC have basically ignored this and are still banning him from his church. So I, I said to him, I'd put those Episcopal guidelines in the show notes for anyone who's interested. They, so, uh, but I assume they are for the Episcopal Church in Scotland. Um, but anyway, sad news for Andy. Um, but uh, it's good to good to hear from him and to have some correspondence with him. So if anyone else wants to get in touch, please do so. Tom, I don't know about you, but yesterday listening to the news, I just felt that this world just appears to be going absolutely insane. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things which is crazy that's happened this week, obviously, is that Boris Johnson has been pinged by his NHS app. And he is now self-isolating for, I can't remember how long, is it 14 days? 14 days, yeah, yeah, two weeks. However, he has already had the virus. He apparently said himself that he is bursting with antibodies and he has tested negative for the virus. And yet he still needs to self-isolate, apparently to set a good example, even though he's supposed to be, uh, he's in the final stages of the uh, Brexit negotiation and, and has various other responsibilities as the Prime Minister. That's just one of the crazy things that has happened this week. But it very it very nicely leads us into this first kind of um, constellation of themes that we have, which are all around this idea of science and the way that science is being treated. And of course, this is one of the major light motifs, if you like, of our podcast something that we come back to again and again because it is so crucial and it does have a real theological relevance which I think we're going to go into but our listeners who were with us last week will remember this article from Paul Baines where he he accused really people who were against the lockdowns of being sort of anti-science and anti-evidence and I'm sure Tom you would agree with me that basically we think that the opposite is the case that that really science is being weaponized and politicized and, and misused in order to serve a preset agenda Uh, And so all kinds of illogicalities, inconsistencies and denials are taking place, not on the side of the lockdown sceptics, if you like, in inverted commas, but on the side of the ostensible so-called mainstream science, which the government are apparently following. Do you think that's a fair fair way of of summarising? 
it's a very concerning turn of events, Jamie, because I don't think it's. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I I don't really want to invoke Godwin's law here, but I don't think it's controversial to say that. Um, and in fact, it's not just about uh, the nineteen uh, sort of thirties, forties Germany, but actually across uh, the world in the twentieth century, the science was always in favour of the awful things that. Um, uh, that the states did. Um, you could always find scientists to support it. Uh, Japan, um, particularly awful uh, sort of science performed on uh, on um, prisoners, political prisoners, and, and that was also the case in, uh, of course, in Germany and in um, uh, and in the Soviet Union. And uh, and you you, you just got to got to be very cautious when the science is treated as a sort of monolithic thing that uh, that the ethics are not being swept out of the window because um science is very good at talking about certain things as i kind of uh, as i pointed out on twitter um you know science is a method of asking questions uh it's no more and no less than a method of, than a than a sort of rigorous method of asking questions posing hypothesize hypotheses and then uh disproving or approving them under uh, limited experiments. Um, that is what science is, not uh, the science, as we, we've said many times before, which is about uh, a political and um, sort of cultural um, movement at the moment to uh, of a particular way of dealing with um, with epidemics. Yeah, uh, very different ideas. Um, and it'd be nice to see a little bit more science applied to the science. So, for example, Boris Johnson with his antibodies and his um, negative test is almost certainly not a false negative. It's almost certainly the, the case is that he is not has not got COVID because he is immune to it um, and will not spread it. So, the the idea that um, that he needs to be locked up is not scientific. It's uh, it's simply political. Yeah, it's propaganda, yeah. isn't it, Tom? Really, it's, pro it's propaganda because yeah. it's based yeah. it's based on a falsity. It's based on a scientific falsity. So I don't think it's I don't think it's um it's wrong to say that. But let's uh, let's go into this then, Tom. I agree with everything you said. We agree on on many things around this. Um, we also uh, actually. No, 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 no. So, and I was just going to say, Jamie, we yeah. should always be careful about us agreeing as well. I mean, we, we ought to be real free to disagree on various things. Oh yeah, yeah. We we yeah. disagree on uh, we disagree on loads of things, Tom. I mean, if this was a if this was a show about you know uh, the the um, you know the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, then I'm sure we would we would have loads of, of excellent disagreement or, or the use of images in, in worship or something like that. But Tom, these these are the salient issues for our time. Okay, and our <laughs> listeners want to hear about yep. the Danish mask study which has just oh, been yes. released so oh, this is a randomized, yes so this is a randomized com controlled trial of masks the only one that i'm aware of i don't think there is another one masks in the community that is not surgical masks masks in the community and it has been suppressed now for i think weeks or is it months um, months uh, yeah. they were muttering about it back in september jamie yeah. um the, the actual um study was take took place in june of course um yeah. Anyone who's been following it knows. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really interesting, Jamie, but we've got to be careful. We have got to be careful about what, what it says and what it doesn't say. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it is uh, certainly another um, really useful bit of science that's been done. Yeah, yeah um, but Tom, so Tom, just stop there, right? You're right. But before we talk about the results, we must emphasize the fact that this mass study has been... If, if not suppressed, then at least delayed, right? And you have to ask yourself the question, 
why has it been delayed, right? If this mask study showed that mask, mask wearing in the community was effective, it would have been out in June. Am I wrong? Wouldn't be out in June, no. I mean, that's when the study was, was done. The, the results took, um, you know, July, September. Okay, well, it would have been, been, right been out much quicker. It, I mean, Quite possibly it would have been out much it, quicker. It's almost December now, right? So it's been, what, three months or so. It's been uh, rejected by various major journals and it has only just been released. So I think yes. that's where I just wanted to pause. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's where I wanted to pause and say that is, that is significant because journals have rejected this mass study, not because of the science, not because it, of the methodology or anything like that, but, but for political reasons. Okay, that's, that's what I believe about this mass study. I think there's good reason to believe that. Yep, I think so. Okay. I, I kind of agree. But of course, what does it say, Jamie? Um, it says that there is no statistical significance to the difference in infection rates between people who were asked to wear masks and people who were not asked to wear masks. Yeah. Uh, in fact, asked not to wear masks, I believe. Um, the people who were asked to wear masks were given instruction on their use. Uh, they were um, given um, high-quality surgical masks to wear. Um, and effectively, um, there was about 2% of both cohorts caught COVID over the time. Um, slightly uh, fewer um, caught COVID in the mask um, uh, sort of cohort than in the um, unmasked cohort, but not enough of a difference to be statistically significant, which means that they wouldn't be able to effectively distinguish that from a sort of random chance. There's, there's no... Um, and indeed, the confidence intervals, the, the sort of this is what we think, uh, sort of uh, the, the fuzzy, the fuzzy bits on either side, statistically, yeah. uh, that could be sort of 95% um, range from masks being slightly detrimental to masks being slightly, um, very slightly useful. Yeah. Um, and the fact is, Jamie, that uh, this really tells us what um, what we suspected, which is that masks pr do very little. Um, to protect the uh, wearer from um, COVID. Yes. Uh, now, uh, the sort of uh, the reply to this so far tends to be, oh yes, but masks are not there to, to protect the wearer, but to protect the people around them. Um, and this mask study does not tell us anything about that, uh, which is, to be fair, um, uh, an impossible study to ethically devise as the as the mask as the author has said because you would need to effectively uh, take um, two cohorts of infected people tell one to wear masks and go about their lives and the others to not wear masks and go about their lives and then measure the, the um, incidence in the people who they meet uh, there's all sorts of obvious problems with that as an experiment um, yep. so uh, so there are limitations to the study but it is uh, good news in as much as um, it does not, uh, it, it certainly there's no statistically significant effect of protection for the wearer. Um, they are, you know, um, it, the, and, and, and the whole idea that they protect other people from you relies on there being a strong strain of asymptomatic infection, um, which has never been proved. Yeah. Um, it's never been proved. Uh, yeah. It's fairly unlikely that, uh, uh, that asymptomatic infections would um, would necessarily be a big factor. This is what Forsey said back in January. Uh, 
this that's the the lockdown king dr Forsey of america um Fauci, sorry, and also uh, it's what the World Health Organization released and then rode back on <laughs> in June, yeah. uh, a um, a, uh, a statement which was admitted to be um, uh, rode back on purely due to political pre pressure and not due to the science. There's not um, there's not many. It's rather hard to uh, to measure asymptomatic transmission because you don't know who they are. Yeah. Uh, the um, the, but but with, you know it's um it's it's probably not a huge problem yeah um, well, well yeah i mean tom you you that's a that's an excellent analysis and i, I think you i think you're um you're clearly right in what you're saying um and uh, you know as, as 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 part of this as well we just have to think back to the lockdown you know the big lockdown this was never masks were never imposed upon people it was only towards the end and i just heard you know when it happened when it started to happen because it happened gradually you just hear boris saying things like well you know the science on masks is growing and i have to say tom i i, I thought and, and continue to think that that is so disingenuous because really what this mask wearing thing is about it's not about science it's not about evidence it's about firstly giving a physical and visible sign of fealty to the political the political dogma that's it that's in play that's the first thing and then the second thing which i object to almost more i mean i probably object to all these things equally to be honest but it's it's about spreading fear it's about showing people that this is still a real issue and keeping people anxious and keeping people worried and the other thing i would say about this and i'm not saying this about everyone who wears masks because um you know, I don't I don't think this is true of everyone who wears masks, but mask wearing is a kind of form of virtue signaling. It's about showing how right on you are with the covid dogma. Now, the thing that interests me about all of this stuff from a from a, a religious or a theological perspective is how is how closely mask wearing follows the way that certain religions prescribe that you wear various things in order to show your adherence to a particular religion. Now, obviously, the analogy is not perfect, but you can see with this thing, because it isn't based on science, that it is a way of, of showing your adherence to a particular set of beliefs, even though those beliefs do not have any basis in rationality. Now, that's, that's the thing I find so disturbing about the mask, is for me, the mask is, is, is almost a kind of religious symbol. And in a, in a society which was ostensibly free, like ours, we would never have had a situation where that would have happened with, say, a religion, right? In fact, quite the opposite, right? So people were, people were um, you know, we, we all know about these kind of cases of people who have been banned from wearing... Um, you know, uh, crosses on their necks, you know, air stewardesses um, being banned from uh, wearing crosses on their necks and so on. But but can you imagine a situation in our country where women were forced to wear the hijab or something like that? It would just not happen. It would be completely unacceptable. And I say that this is equally unacceptable. And in the absence of evidence, and there is an absence of evidence, there is no good evidence that masks do anything it's halfway decent 
there should not be any kind of injunction or law that forces people to wear them. And even if even if they were proved to be useful, I still object to this being some kind of legal requirement. It is dystopian. And the worst thing about this, in my view, is the way that children are being forced to wear masks at school, which I, I, I think is, 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 is bordering on some kind of abuse, to be quite honest with you. And also people who are, say, um, older or overweight or have breathing difficulties. I know, I know that there are, it's generally understood that there are exceptions, but people believe that these masks do something. And so they yeah. wear them even if they're told that you know they don't have to. I mean, there are a number of people like that, I know. And so I find this whole thing extremely disturbing. Um, I don't know if yeah. I'm being unreasonable here, Tom. No, I, I think I think you're right, Jamie. There's an issue of consent, really. Consent um, requires a number of things. We talked about it last week, and um, and masks are a medical intervention just as much as a drug. Um, one thought experiment I sort of put up um, a few months ago was was to think about well, what if um, if we had a drug that would restrict would stop you from spreading COVID? Could we force people to take it? Yeah. Uh, um, if there was no symptoms uh, of it, then that's one thing. But masks are not symptomless. They they increase social isolation. They um, they make it harder to breathe for everyone. They're uncomfortable. Um, they breed bacteria. Um, people touch them and then touch other things. People don't wear them properly. Um, the I mean the only other cluster randomised trial of masks, which is not in the community that I know of, um, it's in hospitals in Vietnam found that the uh, cloth masks were actually worse than the control group which wore no masks at all in terms of the incidence of catching flu in that case um, now obviously really? uh, yeah now obviously there are all sorts of problems for just sort of straightforwardly um, kind of assuming uh, that, that that is relevant in COVID we're not in Vietnamese hospitals here <laughs> we're not uh, dealing with flu we're dealing with a different virus but the um you know, I, it's a matter of consent. We don't have the full information about the harms and uses of them, and it's a matter of um, uh, simply just not being authoritarian. You know, uh, we don't we don't mandate clothes in this country. Um, yeah. And and you know, the the fact is that that there's been no demonstrable evidence that uh, that these masks are achieving what what our government wants them to achieve, and that's um, simply the case. I mean, there's no, you know, the the um, the most recent thing is, uh, I was just seeing, reading just now, that Public Health England has said that um, supermarkets are where most transmissions are taking place now, um, which is not a surprise because it's the only thing you can go to. And of course, <laughs> when you go to the supermarket, just about everyone is masked up. Yeah. Um, so even, you know, that what, what we need to be doing is making sure that people don't go to the supermarket when they've got symptoms of COVID. Yeah. And that would probably be the, the, the you know, Education around that support people to stay at home. Support people to um, to to know what the know what COVID looks like, and um, and, and not and not muck around with with interventions that have no proven track record. And yeah, then, then people will say, "Oh, but look at look at Japan." I tell you, you know, yes, they mask in Japan. Uh, yes, they mask in China. Uh, but um, we've all seen pictures recently of the big bubble party in China and other various things masking. What's not going on in there? Uh, you know, they, they don't. They 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 will. Um, but but also, of course, Japan had a huge flu season um, last season, despite the fact that they all wear masks. Yeah. Um, they're not that effective. 
Yeah, I agree, Tom. I mean, as always, you know, this is this is the point we're making is that this this is this is not based on science, right? This is we are living in a post scientific era now where so many millions of people are wearing masks and there is no scientific evidence that they work. This is just based on faith. It is based on trust. It is is based on authority. It is not, you know, what a, something I heard this week was uh, from, you know, the the founding motto of the Royal Society, right? Nullus in verba. That was the founding motto. I think it was in 1660 or something like that. Um, Nullus in verba basically means do not take anyone's word for it, right? That's the that's the clarion call of modern science, right? And that's the whole scientific method. The whole of the modern scientific method is based on the principle that there should be demonstrable evidence for the truth of scientific claims. And here there is not one. People are just doing it because it's based on faith. As always, we will uh, provide the um, the links to these things. I'm sure. Can you send me something on that uh, Vietnamese study, Tom? Yeah, yeah, of course I can. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Fantastic. I thought we could just jump off that because this is this is really interesting and it's related. Uh, from the Evening Standard, and it, the headline is Metropolitan Police Counter-Terror Chief Neil Basu Calls for Action on Coronavirus Anti-Vaxxers. So, Tom, you and I, we could be in trouble as a result of last week's episode. This is the article. Britain's top counter-terrorism officer today calls for a nationwide debate on the introduction of new laws to punish people who spread anti-vaccination anti -vaccination conspiracy theories. Met Assistant Commissioner Basu said that there should be a discussion about whether it is the correct thing for society to allow people to spread misinformation that could cost people's lives, as he responded to concern that false claims online could undermine the take-up of COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, he stopped short of endorsing a new law, but this intervention will strengthen pressure on ministers to act against conspiracy theories, theorists making false claims about vaccines. Uh, there is a debate for society to have about free speech and responsibility and people who are spreading misinformation that could cost people's lives. Now, this is interesting. Officials said that one reason for Mr. Basu's concern was that Islamist and far-right groups were using false claims about coronavirus to radicalise followers. Labour has also called for action, saying that emergency legislation should be introduced to allow fines and criminal penalties for social media firms that refuse to take down false material about COVID-19 vaccines. Now, this is this is interesting for a number of reasons, Tom. I mean, obviously, it's disturbing that this is this is the seems to be the first result resort now of our political class when they don't like what people are saying to to make it illegal and, and to criminalize it rather than actually engaging with it, which would you think if the facts were on their side, they'd, they'd be able to do. But one of the things I, I observe about this article, I haven't read the whole whole thing out just now, but in this article, there is no, it does not specify what false claims they're talking about, right? It just says, it just uses, like we we're talking about last, last week, these buzzwords, you know, like anti-vaxxers, conspiracy theorists, and so on, misinformation. Um, it doesn't say what constitutes misinformation about vaccine vaccines so last week for example when we were out um, laying out sorry some of our concerns was was that does that count are those conspiracy theories you know is this is it is it misinformation um you know we we just don't know so so basically because these terms are not really 
defined. It, it, it gives, it gives, it could give the police, the government, the authorities carte blanche to shut down any discussion around vaccines, the dangers thereof, and so on. But I think almost even more strangely and disturbingly, this paragraph, when it says one of the reasons for his comments was that Islamist and far-right groups were using false claims about coronavirus to radicalised radicalized followers. That's the first time I've heard something like that. Have you, have you ever heard something like that, Tom? What do you, what do you think they're getting out there? Well, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, I've, I'd, I'd like to see some definition of what far-right and Islamist mean in these contexts, because they're, they're a little bit um, uh, un-hazy terms, really. Um, there's um, certainly I've been less than impressed by the police in the last few weeks, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, and this is coming, of course, from a quite a senior policeman. Um, yeah. Other other police forces, the um, the the, the uh, Bristol police force um, referred recently to uh, protesters as stupid uh, and um, if I, you know um, the uh, the whole. Uh, idea that police Twitter accounts should be should be referring to um, to, to to governmental protest in in terms that I've only ever heard, um, uh, you know, from banana republics is yeah. is worrying. Uh, the the politicisation of the police and the fact that the police have sort of thrown themselves behind all of this so much uh, makes me very worried for the future. Yeah. There's, I mean, no way that the police should be making these sort of um, these sort of calls. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think there's no way they should be enforcing some of the laws they are. I mean, we, we heard recently they stopped giving out for a, for a short period of time £10,000 fines because uh, pe the people were taking them to courts and they were being challenged. Um, and uh, and people were getting much lower fines. Uh, and they've just started again, but now they have to tell people to take it to court because they won't have to pay the full fine. That's a, a sort of t tip for any re uh, listeners, really, is that if... Um, <laughs> If you do uh, get a £10,000 £10, fine, fine go to court, they means test it. Yeah. They'll mean test it, you'll, you'll, you'll go, go right down. Um, but the, you know, the police do not need to be doing this. They're, you know, they need to hear really strong uh, sort, of elem uh, sort of noises from them about how our liberal policing uh, sort of tradition worked and needs to work, which is policing with the consent of the people. Yeah. Um, not, um, not as a sort of arbitrary um, kind of, uh, uh, you know, rule of law. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's not. It's not the rule of law, though, is it? That's that's the point, Tom. Is that they're they're acting like a state militia now, uh, because yeah, yeah. because they're they're enforcing the government's authoritarian um, will. You know, which is which is as as you imply, it is it is arbitrary. You know, it's it's largely bypassed parliament. And I, I found. Sorry, Jamie, I found that um, w wonderful. Uh, this is the, from the Avon and Somerset Police. Um, Crime Commissioner Andy Marsh. I'm proud of the way officers responded. In the face of violence and intimidation, they conducted themselves with restraint and professionalism. They're the best of us. These protesters, these lockdown protesters, are nothing short of a disgrace, from the criminally misguided to the plain stupid. These are people with the audacity to stand up and to, and to protest against the government. Now, I don't condone violence. 
Um, but I must admit, Jamie, whenever I've seen videos of the protests, they've been relatively quiet until the police start kettling. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely, Tom, absolutely. And, and also, uh, you know, there's all the issue with the two-tier policing here, isn't it? How police have not... Uh, acted in the same way with other types of protests like the Extinction Rebellion protests and the Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, they've clearly targeted the lockdown protesters. I think, I think Tom, it's probably worth saying that, um, you know, I, d I don't know, but I, I, I believe that probably there are loads and loads of really great policemen and women out there who are just trying to do their best in a terrible situation and I do feel incredibly sorry for anyone who's who's caught up in this who you know they didn't get into this job to do to do this to people you know they didn't they didn't no, get no. into it for these reasons to you know break up children's birthday parties and things like that so what a terrible situation to to be in but honestly tom when you read tweets out like that i mean that is you know that is absolutely disgraceful it really is um and, and just to go back to this article i i think that this this conflation between skepticism about the covid19 vaccine and ideological issues mm. like being far right or being an extreme islamist again it's it's this it's this scaremongering that we talked about last week it's this attempt to obscure a rational conversation by bringing in all of these hot button issues all of these emotional issues so that the actual conversation itself can't take place and actually i was listening to um something that toby young did last or well, I think it was this week and he was saying that this kind of thing it betrays such a poor understanding of human psychology right because if if these vaccines are safe if they're effective what is the problem with having a proper public debate about it why do you have to silence dissenting voices when you silence dissenting voices, when you start fining people, when you start shutting down websites, when you start throwing people into prison just for saying things, it doesn't make it look like you have a very strong case. It looks like the only way you can win the argument is by silencing your opponent. Again, this is not the hallmark of a liberal democracy which believes in freedom of speech. And I am, I am worried about the way this is going again just to bring it back to the theological tom this for me is the way that religious dogma functions when when authoritarianism is is in the driving seat you know yeah. this is this is this is this is this is fideism this is the irrationality of a quasi religious system where when there is no evidence for the claims that are being made. And when there is counter evidence and good reason to believe that the claims are false, the only way that the authorities can deal with it is by shutting you down and shutting you up. So it is it is a kind of religious dogma in that sense. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, talking on. of religion, of course, Jamie, um, this dogma is now shutting down religion. Um, I, I don't know whether this seems like a good place to talk about the, the, the church that tried to hold a baptism which was shut down by the police um, last Sunday. Um, now, this is another point where th there's clearly an imbalance of, of um, in the way that the, the, the different things are being treated. You do not need police turning up to shut down church services. They should have stayed well out of that. Um, because, you know, if, if 30, you know, uh, Extinction Rebellion protesters got together, socially distanced. You can't imagine the police turning up with three or four vans to shut it down, could you? 
um, you know, we we spoke a couple of weeks ago about how how ridiculous is this whole um, closing of the churches the second time around. We're the only part of the United Kingdom that churches can't meet in right now. Um, I I you know I I'm, I'm appalled that the police could shut down a church service. It's the sort of thing you only heard about happening in communist China, yeah, um, or Iran. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's on that level of. Um, Absolutely, yeah. and and so just uh, we'll we'll post this as always on the show. But we've got an article here in the Christian uh, Post. Uh, so British police interfered with a baptism service held in England due to the religious event having more people in attendance than allowed. Now I don't really understand that because it's not a question of the amount of people who are attending. It's a question of the fact that religious services are banned currently, regardless of how many people are there. The London-based congregation, the Angel Church, held a baptism ceremony on Sunday led by senior pastor Regan King, which 30 people tried to attend. Once alerted to the event, police officers stood at the entrance of the church and prevented people from entering, though they allowed 15 people to um, remain indoors. Apparently, the pastor eventually agreed not to proceed with a baptism or the in-person indoor um, service. So this is... This is, this is um, Interesting. For his part, King, who's the pastor, has been a staunch critic of the national lockdown, arguing in a Facebook post that he believes it was wrong for churches to be deemed non-essential and to be forced into a lockdown. And then this is the quotation. If it is wrong for the government to do this, then how is it right for us to comply? How can I go to countries where it is illegal to practice faith as a Christian in a biblical way and encourage illegal churches to endure, which I have done, and come back and not do the same. I think that is, it's 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 deeply convicting. To be honest with you, Tom. Yeah, yeah. How can we how yeah. can we pray for the persecuted church around the world where they are not allowed to meet legally and they do so at the risk of their lives and at the risk of their families' lives, and yet we acquiesce to the demands of the state to shut our churches down? Yeah, and. It's kind of uh, the idea that the state could stop a sacrament. You know, it, it's you know, it, it, it sort of takes my. I'm never, never not quite sure how how to say it. Actually, it's, you know, it, it's, it's demonic almost. You know, um, the yep. um, God's sacraments, which bring grace into this world, uh, stopped by um, by a panicked and terrified government that is flailing around for an answer to a problem which it cannot solve. Yeah, because um, because in the end, um, death comes to all of us, uh, and um, yeah, and will come to all of us. Well, I mean, um, dig, uh, dig into that, Tom, because you're exactly right. But let's just make that explicit, right? They broke up a baptismal service. Yeah, right. I don't know whether is it an infant baptism service or a probably not, probably an adult one, but the, you probably know, an the, adult adult baptism. But however you understand it, right? Baptism. I mean, well, I mean, it's not however you understand it because obviously there are multiple views, but. Um, you know, I think I think uh, it would be fair to say that most Christians believe that some kind of grace is imparted in baptism through the power yeah. of the Holy Spirit. The person is reborn, regenerated, um, is is welcomed and initiated into the Christian church, becomes part of God's family for the first time fully through baptism. Right. And do you just think from a spiritual perspective how serious that is? For the state police to come in and to stop that from happening, how serious that is from a spiritual perspective. It is, it is um, as you say, Tom, it's not just about you know, a secular set of concerns. It is a spiritual affair, and it's, it's incredible 
to think that people are being prevented from being baptized by the state of our country our our, our, yeah. our country which is which has been christianized and a center of christianity for hundreds of years and this is this is where we've got to and and let's be very clear there's no evidence that that uh well um kind of distanced services were spreading coronavirus in the first place anyway um you know there's there's no evidence they were, the government were unable or unwilling to provide any evidence that churches were a problem um yeah and yeah. um you know i, I I just wish our archbishops um, had continued with their resistance. It was a little, in the end, we, we spoke of, with some praise um, about them a couple of weeks ago because of their letter, which quite rightly pointed out how essential church services were. And and as you look at this sort of lockdown, um, you go out there, you know, the, the streets are busy, Jamie. Um, the streets are busy. People are going to work. We're in a situation where, you know, I, I strongly suspect that they that, that, that just about any office is still pretty much functioning. People are going and making money. They're going and trading on the stocks. They're going and um, they're running. Uh, well, they're, they're even running services which are which are which are which are against the um, kind of uh, what um, Christianity stands for. You know, there's, I, I suspect, I thoroughly suspect that the com- the country companies and charities providing abortions, creating pornography. You know. Um, they're working still. They're allowed to work, but churches are not allowed to meet and and pray and praise God in and receive grace in the sacraments. It's it's um, we're not in we're no longer in the situation of the first lockdown where those roads were so quiet. Um, yeah. People go to people go to study um, in in universities and schools, and I think that's absolutely right. I don't disagree, uh, but we're not allowed to uh, meet and study our God. Um, and I think uh, I think it's reprehensible. Yeah, yeah. You know, Tom, I don't. Did you manage to see those? I sent you those Richard Turnbull lectures. Have you managed to have a look at those yet? No, I haven't. Sorry, Jamie. Okay, well, no, that's um, okay. No, you don't need to apologise at all. Um, but I just, um, just for our listeners, there were a series of three lectures that were given by Richard Turnbull, who, are, as far as I understand, is a kind of evangelical heavyweight, um, looking or looking at uh, biblical leadership in times of plague. Um, Christian leadership in times of uh, plague and pandemic and then applying it to the the present day and his conclusion is that in general the church has demonstrated an abject failure to lead the uh, lead the people of God in in a spiritual sense and it's really interesting Tom and I do I do recommend you and anyone listening um, listen to these lectures the second lecture he 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 um, analyzes a piece of writing from Martin Luther on on how to respond to the plague uh, so he looks at that he also looks at the uh, evangelical movement in uh, England in the 19th century and how they responded to an outbreak of cholera right and in in all the cases that he mentions they do occasionally say things like well you know don't gather together in, in huge crowds unnecessarily and so on but the difference is that both Luther and all the evangelicals and the other people he mentions, he talks about Swingley at one, one point, all of these people say, go to church more regularly, listen to the sermon. They, they exhort preachers to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, call people to repentance. In the 19th century, the church called the nation to a day of fasting and prayer and repentance that God's judgment might pass over 
the nation and it was observed at a governmental level it was observed by the monarchy and and you know it was it was a it was a comprehensive ob uh, observation so if you contrast that with our response today which has been to firstly allow our churches to be shut down and secondly to almost be zealous in our in our adherence to the government's secularizing agenda i think that says a lot about where we have come to as a church and as christians and you know tom i almost feel like what is the holy spirit saying to us now what is the holy spirit saying to us now we have to wake up you know we can't carry on like this 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 moribund christianity you know if, if we if we respond like this when when there is a challenge what does that say about our faith what does that say about the status of our faith before this happened did we really believe those things do we really believe that the sacrament conveys grace by the holy spirit do we believe that the eucharist is essential do we believe that it's essential to gather together with with other christians and to share the apostles teaching and to share the fellowship and to pray together or did we just say that and when something came along that made it difficult we abandoned it I mean it is you know listening to these lectures I have to say it's really I really do feel convicted by them yeah no, they sound like a, a good call to action to faith uh, to repentance and to prayer all of which of course we would exhort our listeners to be doing um, yeah yeah I mean abs absolutely yeah um, right I don't know Tom should we just go back to the we've got a little bit of time left I'd like to play you something which may be one of the most disturbing things I think I've ever heard in my life now listeners will not be surprised to hear that it comes from the lips of our health minister Matt Hancock and they may indeed have already heard this so let me just get this up. I'm actually going to play this on the podcast. So this is a should first, a, a, first should, of the podcast. We should, we should have a trigger warning, shouldn't we? I, I know I, I get a, a twitch in my right eye whenever I hear him speak. So, you know, if <laughs> those of you who, uh, who's, who, who listening to Matt Hancock drives into inconsolable rage, you can turn off your sound now. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> this is, just to give a bit of background, this is from the 10th of November, so it's a little bit old, but this is following the, uh, the uh, Pfizer announcement that they had you know 90 percent effective working vaccine or whatever here we go this is it it's coming up now brilliantly assisted by the armed services will be up to the task i can tell the house that last night we wrote to gps setting out 150 million pounds of immediate support and setting out what we need of them working alongside hospitals and pharmacies in preparing for deployment the deployment of the vaccine will involve working long days and weekends and it comes on top of all the NHS has already done for us this year and I want to thank in advance my NHS colleagues for the work that this will entail. I know that they will rise to this challenge of being ready when the science comes good to inject hope into millions of arms this winter. I know that they will be ready when the science comes good to inject hope into millions of arms this winter. Have you ever heard anything like it, Tom? Well, I mean, it's it's an obvious, um, it's not, I guess, play on words. Um, but yeah, uh, is it a, is it a play on words? I mean, 
I think well, injection of injection of hope into has been. Uh, I don't know. I've I've heard of that. I've heard that statement. Is that, is that a saying? Um, um, maybe it's a saying. Maybe you're right. Uh, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, well, if you type it into Google, it's all about the COVID vaccine. Um, <laughs> I I I, th- I just do you know what, Jamie? Um, hope doesn't come from an injection. Hope doesn't come from Matt Hancock. Hope comes only from uh, Christ. Uh, Absolutely. And I think, <laughs> and I think, um, I, I, you know, I really worry. And we spoke about this last week. You know, um, and we're probably, you know, we're probably going to be clamped down on as far right extremists or something. But I really worry about um, two things. One of them is that uh, the vaccine, uh, even if effective, probably won't end a lot of the um covid problems because they are um you know it's 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 an en- it's going to be an endemic disease people will be dying of this disease for many many years um and and the second one is that of course that um that you've got to worry about the government making in some way compulsory or um if not compulsory then then co- coercive in order to reach their aim the third problem of course is that um the 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 Pfizer vaccine um, is going to be tricky to run out. It's uh, we've n- we've already heard today, I believe, that another few uh, few uh, vaccine candidates have similar efficiency. But but as we sort of um, cautioned last week, a lot of them have the moral issue of requiring the use of fetal uh, material to create them. Now, Pfizer doesn't to create it. It does was tested with it. Um, there's is there is there a moral uh, difference there, I you know uh, you're going to have to decide for yourself in prayerfulness. Um, but um, you know there's there's we've got a there's, there's a sort of few points about vaccines which you know are quite sobering. Um, I think. Well, yeah. Go, go on, Jamie. Well, no, I mean I uh, yeah I mean obviously Tom, I, I completely agree, and um, and we we talked about a lot of this stuff last week. I, I I wanted to pick up on this because I hadn't I hadn't heard this last week this this saying of, of Matt Hancock, but it just struck me once again how religious this devotion is to you know I I mean I don't want to be um, sort of um, polemic but I, I do think of this as a kind of new religion which I which I sometimes refer to as covidianism but this this idea that the vaccine is going to save us like Christ saves us like like it's a secular sacrament um, you know so here I've got a picture of the um, the economist from November the 14th I said this to you didn't I Tom I think and it's it's a picture of a dark tunnel and a dark winding long tunnel and at the end of this dark winding long tunnel there's a light and in the light is a syringe and it's standing upright like it's a man and so i i mean i don't know about you but this this is a this to me is a religious image i mean this this looks like this looks like christ you know i mean this this vaccine is being put in the place of christ and the and the the headline at the top two words separated by by a comma suddenly hope suddenly hope now isn't that isn't that the christian message of the resurrection that suddenly out of darkness out of death, out of despair, suddenly, through Christ, hope. That's the Christian mm. message, all right? It's not, it's not the, secular, the secular Matt Hancock NHS message. It's the Christian message. It's our message. And also, I'd like to say, you know, to anyone listening, you know, you don't have to put your hope in that, you know, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. You don't have to put your hope in a vaccine. 
which all it will do is prolong your life and that's great it's great to prolong your life but it won't give you the true eternal life you need which is through Christ and so to me Tom I want to say that this religious imagery this this quasi theological language is a false gospel it is a false gospel yeah. it is offering a false salvation and it is enjoining on us false religious practices and this is the reason i think in my heart this is why i object to this stuff so much because i'm i feel like i'm being co-opted into uh, into a into a false narrative into a, into a the, an anti-theological narrative and mm. we are being we are being offered this vaccine as our salvation and quite frankly i say no christ is our salvation not the vaccine the vaccine is a, is a type of medicine okay if it works and we, we've got good reason to think that it that it, you know there are there are dodgy things there even if it works all it is is a medical treatment okay all it can do is prolong your life it cannot save you sorry tom i know i'm i know i'm going on about this but i just found but, that I mean, so disturbing i mean this is this is a mistake i mean we were, we were going to speak a little bit about um about medical sort of religions anyway because i mean i've, I've you know often I made, made this point in the first lockdown when we were doing the Thursday morning, no, Thursday evening. I, I never actually banged anything uh, or stood on my doorstep. Uh, but, uh, no, neither did the, I. Um, <laughs> the, for the banging of pans for the NHS or something. And um, this sort of this ritual that started. Um, and, I, and I really worry, um, actually, that we... Um, and I, I think our politicians are guilty about it, of this from both the conservative side because they, they do it because they don't want to appear mean about the NHS and from the Labour side because they, they do honestly believe that salvation comes not from uh, God but from um, sort of the, the gradual improvement of humankind and states sort of uh, um, state institutions but the, but the NHS um, we had, a, we had, we had um, a Church of England prayer project which literally referred to the um, NHS as the as the hand of God in this world or in this country, and and you know this uh, this sort of spiritualizing even from the church is 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 really foolish. Yeah. Because um because for a number of reasons. No, the, f the first one really is that is an obvious point is that the NHS is a work of man or humankind I should say really, uh, and um, humankind is flawed and the NHS is flawed. It's uh, the second one of course is that, that there's no particular reason to think that. Um, that the publicly funded health services are a more efficient or less efficient way, uh, or probably they are a less efficient way of, of distributing resources than um, than the sort of other ways that are found around the world, which actually have much better um, outcomes. Germany, for example, which has a sort of part private, part public, um, gets much better much better results from its medical system than than our sort of uh, monolithic public service. Um, and don't get me wrong, I think um, the nurses and doctors in the NHS do wonderful things uh, on a daily basis, and many of them yeah, uh, may well absolutely. be many of them may well be uh, working, doing God's work in the world. Um, but but an uh, institution uh, doesn't do God's work. Uh, the people in there don't do, and the institution of the NHS is um, is just as corrupt as every other bit of this of this corrupted world. Um, yeah, and Tom, let's let's just uh, so just to put this in context here, the Church of England have um, provided resources for prayer for 
the month of November and they've given uh, daily prayer themes, most of which are absolutely fine and straightforward. I think the thing that is a bit troubling is the one that's on, on for Thursday, which says, quotation, Our God is the great healer and the agent used more than any other is the NHS. The agent used more for any other than than any other. I mean, so look, the thing about this is is one wants to be charitable and say that's a that's a slip of the tongue, isn't it? Like they haven't they haven't thought that through. They don't really think that the NHS has healed more people than any other agent in history, including the church. They don't really think that, but I think. The fact that that's made its way in reveals something about yeah. our attitude to the and, NHS, and think, which is bordering on idolatrous. Bordering on, I, th- I think, uh, well over that at times. Um, I think um, it's, it's really important to remember that Christ doesn't just heal willy-nilly. Um, the healing that you find in the Gospels is, is, is pointed, uh, and it, it's not just a healing of the body, but it's a healing of the soul. Um, in every case, you know, it's not. It's not about um, if, if uh, you know, uh, if Christ's mission was to heal people physically, then uh, it was a very limited and, frankly, in the end, rather pointless one, um, because he was uh, healing people for about three years in ancient Palestine. You know, um, there's, you know, that's not why he came to Earth. His healing is a holistic one. It's a healing of the spirit, mm. and. Uh, with the spirit, the body as well um, was often healed, and uh, you know we still find healing today um, of the of the body and of the spirit. I I do believe, um, but um, let us you know the two have, should never be separated. Uh, and the idea that the NHS um, is anything other than uh, than just a, the healing of the body is is um, is I think wrong. Yeah. Well. Well. I mean, can I just say, just to follow up, Tom, this thing about you know, because we've we've all heard of this thing that the NHS is the closest thing that the that the state has to a religion or something, or that the British have to or the English have to a religion. I can't remember exactly. But just just a couple of comments on this. I want to just emphasise what you just said a minute ago about the fact that there are great doctors and nurses working in the NHS. I mean, just as an example, personally, you know, we had four midwives who helped us do a home birth recently. For our, for our baby and they were all absolutely amazing i mean they were they were fantastic yeah. really really impressive and that's that's true for so many do- i mean we, we live next door to a consultant and a nurse and you know they're they're clearly great you know and and i know loads of people who are amazing doctors and i've, I've had good treatment in the nhs so so uh, i've got a great gp for example so we're not saying you know the individual do- doctors and nurses are you know lacking in skills or anything but the institution of, of the NHS, the, the whole thing is, is, is frankly a little bit weird. You know, it's, it, it's the third biggest employer in the world. Did you know that, Tom? It's got over a million employees. Mm. Right? And we've got this bizarre idea that the NHS is the envy of the world. I mean, it's just not true. Now, just to illustrate this, this, you know, this Thursday evening thing that was going on, uh, where we had to clap the NHS for ten weeks. I didn't do it because I viewed that as a as a as a um, a religious action. Right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worship the NHS. Right? I'm not gonna worship an institution. But I know I, I'm sure Daniel won't mind me saying this because he he told me and he's not a secretive person. But Daniel, who was on the show a few weeks ago, he said that he did the first one and as he clapped, he said the words doctors and nurses out loud. You know, he was clapping doctors and nurses. He wasn't clapping 
the institution of the NHS, and I think that that's an important distinction to make. One final thing, protect the NHS. That has been the calling card of this government throughout this whole thing. Boris Johnson said in a press conference a few months ago, we have formed a human shield around the NHS. You imagine what that actually means. We formed a human shield around the NHS. Now, many people have pointed this out already, so this is hardly an original thought, but the NHS is not there to be protected by us. It is there to protect us. It's not for us to form a human shield around the NHS. It's for the NHS to treat us when we become unwell. That's the whole point of the NHS. So I heard uh, Neil Oliver make this point very eloquently. And he said, look, if the NHS is not here for us now when we need it the most, even to the point of almost collapse, when is it going to be here? When is it going to be needed? It's like having a sofa which you, you, a new sofa which is covered in, you know, that plastic stuff and you bring it home and you never sit on it and you never take the plastic off. No, no, the thing needs to be used. It's there to, to treat human beings. It's not yeah. there for human beings to sacrifice their lives for the institution of the NHS. And I, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen this uh, going around, uh, Jamie, um, the sort of graphs showing um, that occupancy as a percentage is... Um, very similar this time of year um, now this year as it was uh, this time last year yeah and indeed has been over the last few years and and often you see the reply um, oh well you know the NHS has increased its capacity um, to deal with the coronavirus as if that's some sort of um, ripposé that you know part, you know the only reply to that is well, of course it has if it hadn't you'd be furious wouldn't you yeah. I mean what, what's the what's it been doing for eight months um, of course, the NHS has been expanding capacity, and it should be. And thankfully, the expanded capacity has not been taxed. I mean, the, the capacity is still less than it was, I believe, at the peak when we had Nightingale as well. But um, the, you know, the the very fact is, the NHS should be protecting us by increasing capacity so that we can lead as normal lives as possible whilst the pandemic is going on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the I whole mean, point. If, if the why else, sorry, you carry on, you carry on, sorry. Why else have it? No, go, go on, Jimmy. Well, no, all I was going to say is, is in, any, in any normal scenario, if you have a healthcare system that fails to treat people and that people die because the healthcare system can't cope, it, you don't blame the population of the country. You don't say, oh, well, it's because you didn't follow certain restrictions, you didn't keep yourself safe enough. You say that the, the healthcare system was not fit for purpose. Again, we're not blaming doctors and nurses. We're, we're talking about the institution of the NHS. There was a report uh, from Macmillan, uh, the cancer charity, two weeks ago, which said that because cancer screenings have been reduced so much, there are an additional 50,000 people walking around in England who have cancer, who don't know it, who would have done if it had been a similar situation, say, this time last year. 50,000 people have 50,000 excess people have undiagnosed cancer because the NHS has been unable to screen them. That is an institutional failure that is going to cost lives. And this myopic belief in the quasi-divinity of the NHS is, quite frankly, absurd when you compare it to what's actually going on. It's actually, you know, Tom, I don't think I can overstate this. People are dying because the NHS is so inefficient. People are dying. Tens of thousands of people are dying. The NHS, as an institution, is not this 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 you know world-leading healthcare system which which the other nations are looking to and you know wishing that they can emulate. It has it has very very real problems, 
and people are unwell, they are undiagnosed and they're dying because the capacity is, has not been there this year. And I find, quite frankly, I find that imagery that Boris used of, um, you know, forming a human shield around the NHS. I find, I think that's like, that's, that is, that is, evo that's evoking imagery, which is, which is close to human sacrifice, quite frankly. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like sacrificing humanity. It's like sacrificing human lives to, to a god, forming, forming uh, a human shield around the NHS. So just let's let's just be totally clear we love the doctors and nurses who work for the nhs a lot of good stuff goes on in the nhs uh, i really support the principle of free at the point of of um of need but there are nevertheless very serious issues and the way that the institution of the nhs has been promoted to this godlike status in the public sphere is deeply troubling on on, an, on a number of levels yes um do, do, should we, um, Tom? I was wondering if it might be an interesting idea to have a kind of a, a Christmas watch section in the show because we we did have a bit at the end last week about Christmas, um, and I wondered. Well, basically, I don't know whether you've heard, Tom, but the government have said that there is a there is a possibility that Christmas might happen this year. Have you heard this? We all yes, thought yes. we all thought that Christmas was was off that they'd cancelled Christmas or that Sage were going to move Christmas to next year. But apparently, no, we might be able to have five days of Christmas. However, there is significant cavilling over what that would mean in terms of lockdown restrictions. So for every day you have for Christmas, that might mean an extra day of lockdown. It might mean an extra two days. It might mean an extra five days. I believe the, the latest is five days in the bidding war from Sage there. I mean, uh, they started off with two, but that was swiftly corrected. Um, all, you know, I can say, I mean, all I can say to that, Tom, is, is, is how generous of them. To, to it's lovely, you know, to know that we have this permission, <laughs> potential permission, should we... Should we uh, yeah, no, we don't want it, we don't know, want it to be presumptuous. It's not, you know, that the government might actually let us see our family and yeah. celebrate the incarnation of Christ. It's nice of them, isn't it? It's really nice of them. It, it, is, um, it, is, it is wonderfully generous. It's really, yeah, it's a generous thing. I think that's what benevolent, my, my like heart, never before. My heart is filled with gratitude. Tom, I want to play a, cli I want to play a clip here um, of Lorraine, oh, Lorraine Kelly on Good Morning Britain. I don't, have you come across this, this television show, Tom? Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I try and avoid it, Jamie. But yeah, go on. <laughs> I believe I believe the other uh, the other host is is one uh, Mr. Piers Morgan. You may you may have heard of him. And apparently, I've heard of him. Just before yeah. I just before I play this quote, apparently um, no, no, actually I'll play this first, and then I'll, then I'll give the the Piers Morgan just quote say, afterwards. Just Here, we go. So Here we go. So frustrated about this, and I know how important Christmas is. I really do. I really appreciate that. But for goodness' sake, will we stop all this wooliness and trying to be nice and wanting to be loved and wanting to be liked? Their leaders, they're in charge. Say what is the right for the country yeah. and what's going to save lives. I mean, what's more important, having a dinner and being with your family, I know how important day. that is. I know how important yeah. that is, believe you me. Um, or keeping everybody safe. It's a no-brainer. So just stop waffling about and just say it as it is. That's it. It's gone. Sorry. You have to be with a smaller amount of people this year. That's going to be hard. But it means that actually in the new year we'll all get over this quicker. Lorraine Kelly for Prime Minister. All right, just to be clear there, when she says it's gone, she means Christmas, right? She means Christmas is gone. Get over it. That's what she says. And Piers Morgan, who I didn't play then, but he apparently said to viewers that they should suck it up. Suck it up. 
Christmas is not going to happen. Suck it up. And Lorraine Kelly says that Christmas is, did you hear it, Tom? It's only a meal and a get-together with your family. So what's more important, a meal and a get-together with your family or keeping everybody safe? That was, that was, those were her words. I mean, the, I mean, we, there's, there's where to start, really, Jamie. I mean, if you follow that logical reasoning, um, we should probably only be eating um, government-provided rations for Christmas <laughs> every, for every day, um, you know, made up in a safe factory. Um, none of this dangerous raw turkey, um, all those food poisonings. Of course, um, maybe the government, for a uh, special occasion, might provide a pint of beer to go with your meal um you know not too strong though not too strong very watered down um, watered down very watered down yeah um maybe uh you know that would be safe one each uh f- for the festive season um and uh yeah we shouldn't drive jamie um because driving is obviously uh causing all sorts of problems so you know from now on forever um there are all sorts of, i mean I, I believe that as the as the, as the uh, nights draw in and um you know there are there is a tragic increase in pedestrian deaths um and uh really uh around christmas christmas is not worth that so people shouldn't drive to see friends or family nor they nor should, should they cross the road home. nor should they cross the road no. tom I mean, no stay at home i mean uh, you know uh, i i you know it, it does it does beg a belief doesn't it but but one of the things i always feel with people like this which is oh you know just suck it up you know get over it you know, one of the things I think about people like this is look at you, right? Look at you. You've got a job. You're wealthy. You probably live with your... I don't know whether she's married, but I imagine she lives with her husband and she's got kids. Similar thing for Piers Morgan, right? They, uh, of course, Piers, hilariously, Piers Morgan's uh, son is a died-in-the-wool lockdown sceptic. Um, <laughs> And they have public rows every now and again. It is <laughs> well. I mean, that, that is that is good to hear. But the point is, Tom, this this doesn't just go for them. It goes it goes for it goes for so many people who are on this side of things. Yeah. You know, it's all right for you to say that. It's the same thing with MPs, right? It's all right for you to vote for lockdowns, right? You're not the one who are going to lose your jobs. And a similar thing with with Lorraine Kelly, right? It's all right for you to say, oh, it doesn't matter. What's more important, having a meal with your family or keeping everyone safe? Well, look, I've got to tell you something, Tom. For the thousands and thousands of old folks who have been locked in care homes for the last eight months, mm. I'm pretty sure that they, largely speaking, would want to have the capacity or the ability or would want to be given the dignity to make that choice for themselves and not to be told yeah. by Lorraine Kelly that they should just be locked in their rooms, as many of them are, like battery chickens just having their lives extended for no discernible purpose whatsoever apart from to try and get that overall death figure down so that it can look good for the government i think it's a humanitarian disgrace what's going on in care homes for old people to be separated from their family members and i think it is just a disgrace also for people like Piers morgan to tell those people to suck it up that they won't be able to see their children, they won't be able to see their grandchildren for Christmas. And this, is, this isn't even bringing into the conversation the religious dimension. Lorraine Kelly, Christmas is not just dinner and a get-together with your family. Christmas is the time when we celebrate Christ coming into our world, the saviour of the world 
being born as a baby, as a human being, to become our saviour, to become our teacher, to become our sacrifice and our resurrected Lord. So no, it is not just a dinner. No, it is not just a family get-together. And how dare you tell us to suck it up. That's my, that's mm. my rant on. No, I think it's a good rant, Jamie. Well, I think we yeah. should revisit this Christmas watch next week because we have, to, so, yeah. we have to we have to see whether Christmas is going to happen because I'd like I really would like Christmas to happen and you know what Tom I suspect that Christmas might happen regardless of what Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock say I don't know about you I just I have a I, suspicion I, mean, I think I think uh, I think this is probably going to this is of course why they're they're doing all of this um, sort of uh, you know, th- two days, three days, five days. Have you know? They they're aware that people will break the law over Christmas, and um, there's nothing they can do about it. Um, better off not spending all that police time trying to stop it. But uh, look, Tom, I mean, if you want to identify with a character in Scripture, it's not Herod, is it? Uh, that's all I've got to say. It's you know, you don't want to go into Matthew chapter two, read that, and think, you know what? The one I really like here is the king who kills all the babies to try and stop yeah. Christmas. You know, that's. that's no, I've always been a. F- I've always been a fan of Jeremiah if I was going to be a man from uh, from scripture I think but anyway that's beside the no, point no I can see you as a Jeremiah I've always thought of Jeremiah as a tall man and you are, you're yeah, exactly. similarly tall I am tall I've got yeah. a beard I've always thought of him as a beard no but you know what Tom it doesn't work because Jeremiah was very unpopular and you're a very likeable guy I guess so I guess so, so Isaiah then Isaiah was liked wasn't he uh, I don't know I don't know, frankly. I think I think he was. I think um, he was. It's hard to yeah. think of biblical characters who are just sort of unambiguously liked because most of them were persecuted, weren't they? Um, Day, King David. Yeah, King David. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, he was popular. I mean, he had his had his moments. I mean, I doubt it was popular with um, uh, uh, what's the uh, what's the name of the, the man who he sent? Oh, to you war? mean uh, Uriah the Hittite? Uh, Uriah the Hittite. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, well, he was. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, when you were. I, I, I think. Sorry, I think it's wonderful. I mean, it sort of to go into theology a little bit. Even even Israel's greatest king was this deeply flawed character that uh, that, that needed the grace of God and the forgiveness um, to uh, you know. No, I, th- I think I, I think there's there's something very important about that. Yeah. Um, anyway. No, no, I I, I agree, Tom, and uh, I think um, we're probably coming to the end now, aren't we? Um, I think we ought to. But, I've got um, to. Uh, You've got I've stuff got, to I must do. say, I'm running, I'm running out of things to say, Jamie. Um. Oh, you're not. That's, <laughs> definitely, that's definitely not true. Um, Tom, but uh, before we finish, let's just say um, thank you so much to all our listeners and, and you know, to those people who are losing hope, as, as we, we, all, we all attempted to from time to time. There is hope. It's, it's, it's not primarily in the vaccine. It's not primarily in the NHS. It's not primarily in health and healing in this life. It is in Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is. And I'd like to, well, firstly, I'd like to encourage everyone to uh, follow us on Twitter or to write into a reverendpod at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch with suggestions, uh, criticisms, comments, etc. But uh, if it's okay uh, with you, Tom, I'd like to just read a passage from, from Scripture to finish off. Um, oh, yes. I've decided to start reading backwards through the New Testament, which I've never done before. So I, I've just, I'm, I've read uh, the Revelation and I just read the letter of Jude, which is a, a little red letter, I would say. But it has, it's got at least one lovely part in it. And it says this. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. 
It is those who set up divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. And so, shall we pray, Tom? Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for this time together, for all our listeners and for all people who might in any way benefit from what we've been saying today and from this podcast. We pray that we all might be built up in our most holy faith. We pray that you would give us grace to commune with your spirit and to pray often in these dark times. We pray, merciful Father, that you would keep us within the love of God and give us patience as we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We commend ourselves and all for whom we pray to the love and mercy of God through Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for listening to a Reverend. Please join us again next time.